0: Could taking a chance heal your past? Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for shining on today. Brought to you by CBD Live Natural, cbdlivenatural.com. Next week at the Town Crier and Beacon, author and artist Irene O'Garden will engage you in a dialogue about taking risks. And she knows of what she speaks. She recently braved a wilderness adventure to help heal childhood trauma. And you know, it is never too late to heal those deep wounds. Put this on your summer reading list. Risking the Rapids, How My Wilderness Adventure Healed My Childhood, by Irene O'Garden. Not her first brave journey.
1: I had written an earlier memoir about my struggles with overeating and body image issues and so forth, uh, which is called Fat Girl. And I sort of thought, well, gosh, I've gotten that all wrapped up. And it occurred to me some years later that I was not the only person in my family who had chosen a sort of self-destructive set of activities to try and counterbalance some of the issues that we grew up with I started this as kind of a family CSI you know who was responsible for the fact that you know a couple of my siblings were having issues with alcohol and another one was having chronic pain and another one was having chronic anxiety and I, I thought well let's track this down and of course the never an answer uh, that gets wrapped up in the half hour or the hour. I don't actually watch those shows, but uh, I know what they're about. But it was a journey of questioning for myself, what goes on in a family that's not your typical, uh, you know, dramatic, alcoholic, throw-you-against-the-wall kind of family, just where it's it's a, a kind of neglect, a kind of absence, uh, especially uh, with my mom. Uh, so Growing up in a big Catholic family, uh, six other siblings. My dad was a local television personality. My mom was uh, uh, she was very active socially, but not uh, she was rather icy towards us. And there were rivers as martinis and all of that. It's kind of like, well, how does that all come about? And and the book itself is a braided narrative because it it involves this. Wilderness journey that I took in uh, 2014 with some of some of my siblings often to the most remote part of the lower 48 states so.
0: it's full and it's your story but I can't tell you how many times in reading it memories of my childhood came back crystal clear. Really? Yes, because you touch on things that are universal. You know, uh, <laughs> Oreos, for instance. <laughs> and other things just relating to siblings. So many things came back to me in, in reading this about my own childhood. And you write, family is a landscape. That is so true. I mean, I, I mean people who have never met you and never heard of you are going to pick up this book and find something personal in it.
1: It's that we all share uh, all over the world We, we all have family we all have these issues that we're we're trying to figure out and trying to heal from uh it's interesting casey somebody asked me the other day why is it important to heal from childhood wounds because in the title, it's like how my wilderness adventure healed my childhood. And of course, that sort of surprised me. It's like, well, why would you not want to heal? And then I thought, well, you know, we have so many of us, have uh, have grown up with these challenges and, and sometimes they're very painful and, and we try and just ignore them or we distract ourselves or, or we undertake, uh, you know, these kind of behaviors that are not serving us. But the truth is, once we actually can turn and face them, we go through them underneath to, to where our real birthright of joy is. And so if we're not healed, not only do we recreate a pattern, but we also are afraid to look within. And I know you know this, and I know so many of your listeners know, that is by looking within that our our deep and ultimate healing and joy in
0: life comes from. Absolutely, and so well said. We're talking to Garden. The The book is called Risking the Rapids. What do you mean by that title, risking the rapids?
1: what's interesting is it is a direct description of, of this wilderness journey that I took at the age of 62, but it is also a fantastic metaphor for family, as I realized on the journey. This journey itself happened because uh, a, a rather troublesome older brother of mine died unexpectedly at the age of 65, and he was someone who bullied me a great deal as a child, and uh, everybody in the family had some issues with him. Him, but he died unexpectedly. And at his memorial service, my younger brother, who goes off into the wilderness every year and has for 45 years, said to me and to my younger sister, Why don't we all go into the backcountry this year? Let's take this trip together. And he, he goes with his sons and other very experienced people. And, you know, the interesting thing, Casey, is when you're at a memorial service, you're not only remembering your or dearly departed. you're also remembering that ticking clock that we all have mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of like well, uh, if not now when so so that was one of the reasons that I took that that risk of going into the wilderness. I'm not the person who does the rock climbing and the skydiving and, you know, the adrenaline kind of stuff. I always feel like I want my life to pass before my eyes just that one time at the end where it's supposed to. (laughs) But I thought, you know, this is a calculated risk. I can take this risk because it's with people I love and people who are very knowledgeable about the wilderness. So he had described it as a float trip down the river. He said, oh, I'll teach you how to fly fish. Uh, the river's low at that time of year, and it was, it's just, um, uh, it'll be a wonderful time. So I thought, okay, this is good. This I can do. And uh, unbeknownst to him and to all of the other experienced rafters on this trip, the river was much higher than anyone was expecting. It had much greater velocity. So it was it was turned into a rafting rather than a float trip, and it was extremely challenging challenging for those six days because you had, you know, projectiles coming at your face when you get into the raft of the rivers flowing so quickly, you can't turn around, you can't, all you can do is just try to keep upright in the raft, and you know, within the first 15 minutes, two of the three fly fishing rods had snapped off because of limbs that were hanging down, people had been thrown from the raft, I mean, it was wow. just crazy, but what I realized was, that's kind of how we actually live in a family yeah. uh, we think we're signing up for one thing, and then these completely unexpected events happen to us, so it's about how do we retain our ourselves of balance, our sense of presence, uh, while these incredible things are coming at us unexpectedly.
0: Yeah, it's childhood all over again. (laughs) There's everybody in the boat together trying to stay afloat. (laughs) Have you been surprised by the amount of adult women who have told you they've had similar situations with their mothers?
1: Oh, Casey, it is amazing how many how many women especially face this, and I think from that certain generation of women who did not have these outlets that we have all found for ourselves now, uh, I think it's a great challenge that that generation of women who was just brought up to think, well, we have to be sit here and be ladylike, and, and we, ha- we, we, we can't really reach out into the world except in a charitable way, but of course, the idea irony happened. Uh, with my mom because she was very interested in helping children with heart defects. Mm -hmm. She would work and fly them in from all these countries around the world with with the Heart Fund, which is great work, except that the cost was neglecting the hearts of her own children. So I think what was interesting was that there's so many mothers who really felt like they could not fully embrace their children in the way the children uh, needed it in those generations. So it, is, it seems to be a much more common experience among women than I realized before uh, I wrote the book.
0: Absolutely. Risking the Rapids, Ireno Garden. Let's talk about, for a minute, the healing power of the wilderness, of nature.
1: <laughs> well, one of the marvelous things, first of all, the splendor is, we all know it heals us. We all know even from the smallest, you know, plants that we see out the window, we know that's doing our soul good. We know breathing in the outdoors is a is a really good thing for us. And when we get to the actual wilderness, one of the things that I found interesting is that even in these these immense immense challenges, these physical ah we 've got to get the oh, the raft is leaking we 've got to get off the water, the storm is storming the thing you know, what can we do? What I found was the wilderness interestingly enough, it's like being a child again in a way because we're more vulnerable there than we've been practically since a child. But the interesting thing is we can't use any of the little tricks that we've learned to try to, we can't charm the wilderness, we can't entertain it, we can't lie to it, we can't you know do these things that we might have done in our family situation to get us out of scrapes. But the interesting thing is you can't disappoint it either. uh, I think what, what the wilderness gave me, and I think this is available to all of us who are drawn to do that. I'm not saying everybody has to go out in the wilderness, but to those of us who are drawn to that kind of a risk, I find that the wilderness gives us an incredible sense of perspective so that we can just feel our vulnerability in the moment and also feel our strength in the moment. But I believe that this can happen with any kind of a risk that we take. I, I've been called, Casey, to, to talk a lot about risk nowadays. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding is, you know, it doesn't matter what really the risk is that some of, uh, some of your listeners may be considering. If you're considering a risk and there's a part of you that really wants to do it, and it, it may be the risk of having a conversation with a family member, or it may be the risk of, for the first time, uh, sharing something. Something that you've written with somebody else I mean there are all kinds of risks and I was reading an article in psychology today about what happens when we take a risk or don't it's a muscle that we can develop that we can strengthen and when we t- every time we take a risk we are strengthening that muscle force and interestingly enough when we don't take a risk that we want to take we still feel anxiety, so we feel anxiety whether we take a risk. We right. like, ooh, can I really do this? But we also feel anxiety if we don't take it. Oh, I, I wish I could take that. I want to take that, but I don't think I can. And so I sort of figure, like,
0: if you're gonna feel anxiety, go for the risk. <laughs> take the risk. Something <laughs> yeah. wonderful may come out of it. Take exactly. the risk. Exactly. Exactly. All right, risking the rapids, Ireno Garden. We want everybody to be reading the book at this book at the beach this summer. Maybe as they go on their own a vacation. They'll take your family with them. <laughs> Anything else our listeners need to know this morning? Well, actually, I'm, I'm doing a, a reading at
1: the Town Crier in Beacon on the 27th of June at 7 o'clock. Would love to see you there. I'm happy to talk to anybody about a risk that they might be considering. Uh, happy to share uh, more of my experience. People, of course, can uh, contact me uh, through my website, IrenoGarden.com on Facebook, uh, Garden Poet and Author. I've got an Instagram feed, I.O. Garden. Uh, and I think the most important thing I, I, I want to share with your listeners is I believe that it is never too late to you. And it's never too soon to
0: start. Irene O'Garden. Find her, read her, take a risk, heal your world. You couldn't ask for a better guide. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. And while you're gathering your summer reading list, here's another to take to the beach or the porch or out on a great adventure. Jane Green, the friends we keep.
2: The Friends We Keep is my 20th novel and it's really the first time that I've delved into friendship and it's the story of three people who meet at university in the UK in the 1980s and they become best best friends and they vow that they will stay together forever they'll be friends forever but of course life gets in the way there's a wonderful john lennon quote that says um, life is what happens when we're busy making other plans and two of them come back to the states one of them stays in the uk and the years go by and they slowly lose touch not least because one of them evie is harboring a deep dark secret that she 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 has to keep from the others and so she really withdraws from the friendship and before you know it we follow their lives over the years and, and none of their lives are what we expect or what they expect And then at their 30th reunion, they all show up. And within minutes of being together again, it is just like no time has passed. And by the end of the night, they're having this sort of fantasy of, hey, what if we live together again? And they then decide to turn that fantasy into a reality, not knowing that this secret from the past is going to come up and possibly derail everything that they found.
0: Oh, my goodness, I have chills. Jane Green, (laughs) the the friend's we keep. Now, you know a thing or two about, you know, going back and forth between the UK and the States. You live in Connecticut now, and you were trained at the Culinary Center in New York. Was cooking ever part of your life, like professionally? No, I I never worked in a kitchen, and I'm really, really sorry that I didn't, because
2: I think it would have informed a great number of my novels I still may I mean I still think gosh I would love to go and work in a professional kitchen even for a month or two as research and I think I'd be quite good I'm very good at chopping I'm a really (laughs) good stew chef and I'm I'm pretty fast with the onions I'm not quite as fast as do you remember the film about Julia Child when Meryl Streep played Julia Child oh yes and there was one scene where she chopped 3 million onions it it super super quickly and and then was very proud of herself i'm i'm not quite as quick as that but i'm very good so i may do it because i i do think that a lot of my books, they all feature food in some way, shape or form. And I did bring out a cookbook called Good Taste a couple of years ago. But I think it'd be really fascinating to have a character that actually works in a kitchen. And I would need to go and do that to really get to the bottom of it. I think
0: many kitchens would welcome you. But isn't it true how life doesn't always work out as planned, just like in your books?
2: Well, when I look back at my university days, and and I drew from those days for this book, I thought I was going to be an artist. I was studying fine art and spent my whole life presuming I would be an artist of some description. I never dreamt I'd be a novelist, nor that I'd have 20 novels. I'm, I'm currently writing halfway through my 21st, which is just extraordinary. So nor did I think I'd be living in America. Life definitely didn't turn out the way that I planned at that age, but I wouldn't change it.
0: Yeah. You know, if you have to be the woman with 10 million books in print worldwide, you'll be that woman, right? Exactly if I'm fourth. I have to say though, for
2: as as glamorous as my Instagram looks, one of the things that I've written about in this book and that I think is true of everyone my age, and I'm I'm a fifty one year old woman, is that Whatever our Instagram profiles look like, everybody is suffering and life is hard. You don't get to be this age without having experienced some serious hardships, and that's the thing that you really can't envisage when you're young. You just don't. You cannot anticipate the curveballs that life is going to throw at you, whether it's illness, whether it's your parents ageing and and having to look after them, or, or financial troubles. Whatever it is, you know we're living at a time when we it's. Very very easy to believe that everybody is leading a perfect life because those are the things that we're portraying on social media. But but in fact, you know, we, we are all struggling in some way.
0: Right, which is why we should grab a few minutes in the sunshine or in your favorite chair and snuggle up with a good book and refresh <laughs> your spirit. Jane Green, Definitely. the Friends We Keep. And what are you working on now? So I'm working on
2: a novel. Um, that is very different from me and it's set, in, it's set on the other side of the coast for me. I, I, As you've heard, I live in Connecticut and this is all set in Silicon Valley. It's all Palo Alto and Cupertino and, and my protagonist is the 29-year-old daughter of a Steve Jobs-like tech titan mm. um, and I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I can't believe that I'm writing my 21st novel, and I'm truly loving it as much as I loved writing that first one.
0: We wish the best for you, and where can we find out more? Janegreen.com.
2: You'll find everything there.
0: Jane Green, author of The Sunshine Sisters and The Beach House, her latest, The Friends We Keep hi it's casey thank you for shining on today we've got two summer adventures planned spiritual weekend vacations july 26th through 28th in ossining and august 16th through 18th in garrison new york why don't you join us please we'll have a wonderful time find out more at casey.co k-a-c-e-y dot c-o now have you tried the cbd oil yet if you are considering start here CBDLiveNatural.com. I know Marcy Manfredonia as a successful businesswoman, owner of Custom Candle Co., and today we learn how she became a CBD expert.
3: Well, basically, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia many years ago, and I've tried everything possible. And my son had introduced me about three years ago to the oils, and it started to change my life.
0: What does fibromyalgia feel like?
3: It feels like you just want to die. It's pain everywhere, different places in your body, an ache that comes like with the flu that you just can't control.
0: And it's 24-7?
3: Yes. Wow, that's awful. Yes, it is.
0: So then your son says, hey, Ma, try some of this. And how did you take it originally?
3: I took it as a pinch of the oil under my tongue. In a couple of days, I'm saying, this stuff really doesn't work. But I stuck to it because everybody says, make sure you stick to it. Everybody's body is different. And I kept on with it. And within a week or two, I noticed, you know, sleeping better. Then I started noticing I didn't wake up with all those aches and pains. And then as I kept on taking it, I noticed so many different things might come. My skin. I was able to sleep at nighttime. I was able to move more mobile. I was able to start exercising again. So it was, just, it was just like a change of life. Everybody kept asking me, you know, what are you doing? You look so good. You know, you're not on any medication anymore. And I just kept talking about my story, and everybody kept saying, well, could you, you know, why don't you sell some of it? And that's how I introduced the uh, CBD to my um, custom chemical. Right. And we just have not stopped since. It's been amazing. Amazing um, how everybody's been. Getting sprint benefits from it.
0: Right now, uh, people want to make sure they're not going to get high when they take CBD oil. Explain.
3: So I had the same thought in my mind, and when I took it, I thought I was going to feel high. There is no highest feeling at all. Less than 0.3% THC, and some um, cannabinoids do not have any at all. It doesn't show up in your blood, urine, and you do not get high.
0: Everybody's selling CBD oil right now. It's like snake oil, really. Yes. So people want to find a place they can trust, and you. You can tell people what to look for when they're buying the real thing, the good stuff, right?
3: Absolutely. So all we do is source products that have analyst reports, the testing to show that it is original. You don't want to buy it from online or anywhere because, honestly, you wouldn't know if I was selling you olive oil. You know, you want to make sure you're getting the pure CBD, the whole cannabinoid with all the good benefits. And that's why you source only reputable places. And you know what? Like anything else, it blows up. All these places are all over the place. The only ones that will be here years from now are the reputable companies that only sell the original product.
0: See cbdlivenatural.com is where we can find your three locations, but I want to hear more about you. You've been selling this for a while now. What kind of stories are you hearing from your clients?
3: Oh my God, amazing. I have people that are 70, 80 years old, and when they come in the store, you know, they, they don't want to go to a smoke shop. They want to come to a place where they can, you know, talk to people. I have doctors from a lot of big medical places sending their patients they can walk again. Their blood pressure is is at a, a good stage. Their eczema cleared up. I mean, i Hear so many good stories, and we do have talks in our store once a month that where people can come in and they talk to each other and tell them the benefits that they have. But I hear remarkable stuff, especially me. I think I'm a
0: miracle. So, and do you still continue to take a couple of drops under your tongue every day? Yes, I do. What time of day?
3: Um, I take it in the morning, one full dropper, and I take one full dropper at night before I go to bed. There are sometimes, you know what, Casey, that I might take it in the middle of the day because with fibromyalgia, with the weather, you might get a little achy, but that's it, and you. You could take it by pill form or you could take it by a tincture
0: by oil. And you take it the the tincture by oil one full dropper. Now did you start at a full dropper or did you start mm-hmm. smaller?
3: Um, no, I actually started at a full dropper, and, I, and I, I continue to take my full dropper. If I miss a day now, no big deal, miss two days, because I've got that perfect little level now where my body's saying, oh, you know what, great, we're, we're there. So you could always wee off and just take it as maintenance, but with fibromyalgia, I definitely need to, you know, continue. So yeah. I do take it twice a day. I like take my vitamins.
0: And how does it affect your body?
3: It actually targets the inflammation. In our bodies, we do have the receptors. CBD one, CBD two, things that we didn't know before. So when you do take your oil, it will go just what your body needs for you know aches and joints or sleepiness or anxiety. It just goes and absorbs into your central nervous system, and it takes for what your body needs. I needed it for fibromyalgia, then it started helping with my anxiety, then it starts helping me, you know, my skin. So it just goes to into your body, and your body takes it to where it needs to go.
0: Anything else our listeners need to know this morning?
3: Make sure they find a reputable place, and make sure that you know what you don't want to find out three months from now. You have metals and toxic in your body because. It wasn't FDA approved or it's not tested.
0: cbdlivenatural.com. That's Marcy Manfredonia. Hi, I'm Casey. Thank you for shining on today. I want to tell you, aside from the two summer weekends I have planned for you this July and August, I am heading to Kripalu for a Women's Week in November and I would love for you to join me. More on that coming up in the future. For today, our thought for the day is from Tencel Washington, who said, do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. Shana.